publicly traded space startups, many of them the result of a special purpose acquisition company or SPAC deals, have seen their stocks crash back to earth. Collateral damage of a frothy equity market awash in stimulus that then faced the fastest pace of interest rate hikes in a generation. Shares of some space stocks are trading down drastically from their all-time highs. Take Virgin Galactic, the first pure-play spaceflight name to go public via SPAC in 2019. At one point, it traded near $60 a share. Today, after quarterly results and news of its next human flight test spurred big gains this week, SPCE still trades at just about $4. Galactic is largely pre-revenue, hoping to launch its suborbital commercial service before the end of June, so the argument does exist that it perhaps never should have been trading that high to begin with. But it does raise a broader question. Was the SPAC boom good for space investment or bad? There are companies that benefited from going public during the SPAC boom, and you know, a company like a Rocket Lab and some others might actually be better positioned to win government contracts as a publicly traded company than they might have as a private company. Andrew Channon is the CEO and co-founder of ProcureAM, a firm issuing exchange-traded products, including the first pure-play space ETF, Procure Space ETF, ticker UFO. The fund is down 4% this year versus the S&P 500 7% gain. It might not be rocket science, but in this episode, Channon digs into the complicated business of investing in space. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Well, this is a fund that we launched uh, over three years ago now. I, over, It's been uh, yeah four years now. Wow. Uh, since 2019, we had the, the world's first pure play space ETF. And UFO was a, was a fund that we were excited to make the, our company's first product, our flag, flagship product. Uh, it currently has just under 40 publicly traded companies from around the world specializing in space with over 80% of the fund's weight focused on companies actually deriving a majority of their revenue from space, but also realizing that some of the major players, uh, ones that you speak with regularly on this podcast, um, are some of the more diversified aerospace and defense names that are major players in the space economy. Uh, there's up to 20% of the fund can actually be allocated to those more diversified players that are still uh, really helping drive the space economy forward. I mean, we've seen the space economy change pretty dramatically in the last couple of years. So what gave you the idea to even create a pure play space fund four or five years ago? So this is uh, almost like the 12th fund that I've launched uh, they're sponsored, financed, going back to uh, the early of 2012. And you know, one of the things that I always try to do is bring a product to market that's a first-to-market concept. And for that, the index is really important. And we were ecstatic that we could find a team that was working with the former director of research from the Space Foundation and Michael Walter Range, uh, someone that actually helped develop the model that they still use today and have been using for you know, 15 plus years in their annual space report to calculate the size and the growth and the makeup of the actual space economy. And for us, that was a huge win to be able to not just work with an index team that truly understands space, but with all the major changes happening for the industry, the, uh, the ramping up of rocket reusability, the lowering of costs of uh, you know, sending things to space, um, you know, something that obviously couldn't have been done without reusable rockets um, until recently. And just the many new companies that were coming to market and seeing how important space had become for governments and militaries around the world. You had this cross section of all these major 
uh, you know, mega trends happening. And so many of them are utilizing space and people don't realize it. And so for us, being able to give people that diversified access to uh, you know, this incredibly important part of our global economy uh, was something that we really wanted to be able to offer. So we were thrilled to be able to bring UFO out and you know, thrilled to have you know, many shareholders still today. And of course, I and of course, I want to get into some of those broader space trends and and how it's reflected back in some of your top holdings in UFO as well. But I mean, since then, and even before then, we've we have we've had other aerospace and defense ETFs like XAR and ITA, and then more recently after UFO, you've got you know Kathy Wood's uh, Arc Arc uh, X. Uh, space and exploration ETF too. And, and we've seen some others start to come to market as well. So I guess just in terms of some of the details that differentiate your offering versus some of the other funds on the market. Yeah. So, you know, at, at the core is the index. So it, this is a passive fund and it tracks what um, is, you know, essentially the, the broader publicly traded space market. So actually looking into these companies and determining revenues from space uh, alone is is a major differentiator. So, you know, you're looking at UFO. You're investing in a, in a fund that has over, you know, roughly eighty percent or more of its weight in these pure play space companies, and it's also a global fund. So, not every fund uh, has a global focus, and you know, space is truly something that is collaborative. You know, around borders, and you, know, you see it on the ISS, and you see it with. Uh, you know, companies helping foreign governments and, and militaries even launch your know, sensitive spacecraft. Uh, you know, so having uh, a fund that gave exposure, not just to American companies, but global companies that are helping drive the space race forward was something that was you know, truly important. So, you know, the, I think, you know, the, the, inter the global focus as well as companies truly deriving revenues from space. And, you know, that might seem like a simple, uh, obvious uh, feature to have for a space fund, but we were the first, and to my knowledge in the US, no one else is actually focused on space revenues. So some have more uh, you know, interpretive uh, ideas of what space are and you know, their funds allow for that. But our funds methodology guide uh, actually requires this fund to have this focus on you know, companies that generate revenues from space. And we think that someone that's looking to actually invest in this growing space economy, you know, it's the companies making revenues from space that are the ones that, that make this up. So you know, I think not getting cute with trying to define space was something that truly set us apart. And you know, I, I think that as time goes on, this is uh, you know, an idea that many people will, will be very interested in. And you know, for us, it's our goal to, to get the, the concept and uh, you know, the strategy out as broadly as we can. And we've even, uh, through one of our other subsidiaries, partnered with uh, a company, Han ETF, out in Europe that offers um, you know, a similar strategy uh, to European markets. And you know, I think that kind of shows our, our focus and uh, you know, beliefs in this concept. And where are you in terms of investors being interested inflows versus outflows? And I asked that question because we did see a number of companies, space companies go public in recent years, um, perhaps at valuations that were not warranted, but there was a lot of money out there. There's a lot of capital and liquidity out there. And since then, we've seen a lot of those stock prices drop pretty dramatically. Yeah, you know, specifically speaking to the SPAC market, and you know, there was a time where you know, you'd say you can't spell space without SPAC, and you know that time has you know, certainly moved forward. That said, you know, there have been some strong companies that have emerged from that broader SPAC wave. That said, I think many investors group these types of companies, you know, these now de spac entities, 
uh, into the same bucket. And, you know, this was something where money was you know, very hot and moving very quickly into different companies. And those that were you know, the sponsors and developers of the SPAC, you know, they weren't necessarily looking for what is the best company that I could move public, but a lot of them had a vision of you know, what might be the sexiest type of company that I could bring forward. And to, to many, you know, space caught their attention. Um, you know, certainly we saw you know, EV talls and you know, other you know, more earthly types of you know, companies also going forward, you know, lots of heavily tech-focused companies um, and even some media companies being brought forward. You know, the success has been you know, limited and you know, there still have been you know, many successes out there um, you know, that said, a lot of these companies, when markets sour on, you know, technology and other forward looking ideas and ones that might be more capital intensive and in many cases, not yet generating revenues, these companies as, as a group tend to get, uh, hit fairly hard. And so our fund being, uh, one that looks at space companies, um, you know, certainly there were, you know, many despect companies that were in the fund, um, not all despect space companies ever, you know, made it into the fund. Um, but there also are some rules, uh, you know, fr from the fund's perspective, where if it doesn't meet certain intraday uh, daily value traded, if it doesn't have certain market caps, these are you know, things that can actually remove these names from the fund. So, um, you know, you talk about prices going down, then you have a company like Virgin Orbit that you know goes goes bankrupt and you know disappears. You know, what will happen with that company as we move forward will be um, something that we're all you know waiting to see because. Uh, horizontal launch does have a place in the industry it has for for years and you know it fits you know a certain need an area um, of demand that you know horizontal launch solutions will you know absolutely be required in the future um but you know th there are companies that benefited from going public during the SPAC boom and you know a company like a rocket lab and some others you know, might actually be better positioned to win government contracts as a publicly traded company than they might have as a private company but you know, every quarter you have to show shareholders, you know, how much you've been doing and that you're moving things in the right direction. And for some companies, it's been easier than, than others, but, um, you know, it certainly hasn't been, been easy. There's a lot I want to unpack there, but first the idea that, so the fact that rocket lab is public, is this the thesis you're putting out there? The fact that rocket lab is public has made it more attractive in terms of its ability to vie for and, and win government contracts and other types of contracts. I think that that's the case for actually for for several of um, and many of these now publicly traded um, despect companies, as well as publicly traded entities in general. Um, you know, certainly seeing with the the conflict with Ukraine and Russia, how important space is from a military perspective. Um, other things that we know about space that you know everyone's repeated is is that it's hard, and that you know companies being able to be financially stable not just when they receive a contract, but when they actually have to deliver on that contract is something that's really important. If you're um, you know, a large space agency that has a 10 year plan for something and you're contracting companies out that far in advance and you know, all of a sudden that company is no longer there to provide those, those services because something's happened, um, you know, you're, it's gonna potentially hamper your results as, a, as an entity that's relying upon those companies. And you know, it's, it's our belief that um, you know, especially at the, the governmental and, and military level, when when looking at companies that they want to work with, publicly traded companies have more access to TAF capital markets. And you know, because of that, it may help sway things in their favor. Not that private companies won't get funding. You know, certainly SpaceX and, and Blue Origin are you know, major private companies that um, you know, have been able to win contracts in the past. 
Um, you know, SpaceX seems to you know, continuously be winning you know, all sorts of contracts, government, military, commercial, um, and even offering consumer services. Um, so you're know, not all things are equal, but you, know, you look at those two companies that I just named and you know, they have something that's very different, which is you know, a ton of money coming in from either founders or um, interested investors. So this is all something that um, you know, might help tip the scales in a publicly traded company's favor if looking at a, a company that maybe has the same capitalization that's a private company. Yeah, it's it's almost like SpaceX and Blue Origin are the um, exceptions to the rule because they're two names that are probably never going to go public, or if they do, it's going to be a ways out, or maybe it's a spinoff like Starlink, which has been discussed uh, by Gwen Shotwell and Elon Musk at that company at, at SpaceX as well. Um, so I guess it raises the question. I realize this is a broad question, but was the SPAC boom good for space or was it bad for space then? So, so one of this, you know, fall on effects of these companies being grouped together as, you know, being a despacked space company, um, you know, it could potentially bring buyers to the market. You know, a lot of these companies have been hit pretty hard. Some of them offering you know, really important services or solutions, um, some that have been you know, fully developed, some that are still in the, the research and development phase. And you know, when the prices of certain types of assets drop, you know, in many cases, uh, you know, opportunistic companies say, what can I do with that technology if we were to have it um, in-house? Or maybe it's a way to take out a rival um, you know, and reduce competition. Certainly there are you know, different rules and, and whatnot about that. But um, you know, say there's uh, you know a company that has a government contract that you know maybe doesn't have the the financial stability that they're going to need to to execute on that. You know, having a government contract could be a win for another company that might want to you know acquire and bring them bring them on. So you know, there's you know that which you know I don't think was the intention of of uh, the SPAC craze having uh, you know depressed asset class of uh, you know space stocks. But that is you know certainly we've seen interest in, in people finding value. Uh, when space stocks have come down, just look at Maxar, which, uh, you know, as, as household of a name as you can have for, uh, for a satellite company, um, you know, a private equity firm saw tremendous value and, you know, lifted its stock price 139% from the previous night's close. when they announced that they wanted to take them private because they saw value that, you know, typical, um, you know, individual investors or other institutions maybe didn't see, uh, Maxar having the ability to, to tap. And so, um, you know, I think, Broadly, there has been less excitement for investing in space. You know, some of those first ideas out there, um, and I'm sure, sure we're going to get into it. Virgin Galactic, you know, caught a tremendous amount of media attention. You know, how large is the the commercial space tourism industry? You know, no one knows yet, and that's you know one of the risks of getting into a new market. You know, will there be customers if you're even able to bring the technology forward? And I think you know we're we're kind of in the middle of that right now, but. I think that there's you know, some tremendous opportunity to be found when people start grouping um, you know, broad industries together um, as much as they seem to do for uh, you know, smaller space companies. Um, so it raises the question, what's a good investment when it comes to the space economy right now? Where can an investor actually, what are the companies that are making money? And what does that mean in terms of investors being able to make money? So, you know, it's great that we're not in the very early innings of the space industry. I mean, as far as what I think we have the ability to accomplish, um, you know, as a species and you know, space travel and exploration and, and infrastructure and, you know, the many exciting projects ahead, you know, we're still in the building out the infrastructure stage for, you know, what the next several generations of technologies for space are probably going to rely on or build off of themselves. And so, 
you know, I think we're what what we you know need to do is be able to find ways of providing capital to the companies that are best able to utilize it. And you know, diversification is something that you know I think is is a beautiful feature for ETFs because not every company will make it. We've you know, seen companies like Virgin Orbit um, you know, attempt to and 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 fail. And you know, there might be companies whose technologies work and they still fail. But you know, diversification I think is extremely important, not just because you know some companies will win and others will fail. But because there are so many different areas of space that you can touch, you know, there's the launch business, there's satellite manufacturing and operation. And then even as we come up with challenges, some in some cases, ones that we create ourselves, like sending up so many things into low Earth orbit at one time, you know, we have this new land grab, this new space race to uh, you know, acquire orbit in low Earth orbit. Uh, we're creating new industries like debris mitigation and debris removal. And so, you know, things that you know, we're doing are creating new industries that are building off of themselves. And we don't have necessarily any viable solutions yet for, um, you know, this you know, major coming problem of debris removal. But because of that, you know, it's creating this increased need to send things to space as quickly as possible before potential regulations start to heighten where, you know, fewer companies can use low Earth orbit or you're limited in ways that you're allowed to use it. So there's a lot of gamesmanship that is occurring right now, um, you know, and who is going to win is you know very far from being decided. That said, you know there are many companies, and some are pre-revenue, like we've mentioned. Some have been making revenues in space for for decades, and you look at you know the larger, more diversified aerospace and defense names, and they've been getting uh, you know an incredible amount of contracts for you know, you know space military uh, purposes, you know whether Ukraine related or whether you know, all levels of the military are saying, you know, space is the new strategic high ground. If we're not spending, we're falling behind. The way the U.S. competes historically with space is by you know, spent outspending its rivals. And, you know, it, you, know, uh, you, know, it, you know, it's next several rivals combined. And, you know, space is one of those areas that we've already um, said, you know, we need to, to be a leader, if not the leader. And from a military, strategic and national security standpoint, that um, you know, all types of companies may be able to receive contracts because there are so many diverse needs um, at the moment and likely into the future too. So, um, you know, space continues to be difficult. Companies though have different time horizons for different types of products and ser and services. Um, so, I think it's it's important for those that are looking at space to look at you know the many different areas. And I think again, that's one of the the beauties that a diversified ETF uh, could potentially offer. Yeah. Uh and uh, and certainly it's the pitch for an ETF like UFO. Um, if I look at the top 10 holdings, I mean, you've got Rocket Lab in there, um, but it's not launch companies. It's not human spaceflight companies. It's really mostly satellite companies uh, and different types of satellite companies offering different types of services. And you could even argue Rocket Lab has been diversifying in terms of space hardware manufacturing uh, as well. How does that speak to Yes, all of these possibilities and land grabs and promises, but how does that speak to what's already generating cash right now and is an established business in space? Yeah, so you know, communications companies are extremely important. When you look at the makeup of the overall space economy, uh, you know, communications makes up you know, roughly a third or more of the overall space economy today. So to not have satellites, to not have communications companies um, you know, largely represented, would be you know, providing something that isn't you know a, a full representation of what you know, the space economy today is. 
now, you know, I don't have to go out and make projections because fortunately other research houses uh, do that and we're able to look at those numbers and, um, you know, say whether we agree or not. But, you know, regardless, you know, two very large firms, Morgan Stanley and Bank of America for years have been putting out their estimates for, you know, the growth and size of the space economy. Um, you know, Morgan Stanley seems to be a little bit more conservative uh, with, you know, the space economy being, you know, over a, a trillion dollars by 2040. Um, then you have, you know, Bank of America, which says that the space economy could be, uh, you know, $2.7 trillion by 2045. Then you have China that says that the cislunar economy alone could be worth $10 trillion, uh, you know, a year by, by 2050. So, you know, there are, are tremendous amounts of varying, um, you know, degrees of valuation and projections. But one of the common threads of, of all of these projections is that communications could potentially drive over 50% of the growth of the space industry. So now currently under half a trillion dollars per year, um, you know, with communications being what, you know, many people believe will be the driving force of the growth uh, over the next you know, few decades, um, you know, that kind of makes a lot of sense, you know, to, to someone I think looking to invest in space that there'd be a heavy representation of those companies um, that, that are providing these, this type of access. Just as importantly, what do you steer clear of right now? So we're a passive fund, you know, we're, we're not trying to, um, outsmart the market. We're, you know, providing what we, what we've promised. Um, you know, we're, we're not getting, you know, cute and creative and, and saying, oh, well, uh, you know, this type of company, you know, might use space. And even though, it, you know, it's a third of a percent of its revenues, you know, we can make an argument for how it's a space company. We, we follow the, the methodology guide and you know, the index tells us what goes in the fund. And, uh, you know, right now it's, you know, companies that derive a significant part of their revenues from space. And so um, that said, there are rules that, you know, we think do protect the, the index where, you know, companies that fall underneath a certain market cap, if uh, trading liquidity completely dries up, these are names that could be removed. So, you know, at one point Virgin Orbit was uh, in the index, but it was removed shortly thereafter. Um, you know, and, and didn't have to go through the entire bankruptcy mess. Um, and that's, you know, one of, again, one of the beauties of having what we think is a pretty intelligently designed uh, index methodology guide. And yeah, I think if, you know, 10 years ago, if you know, someone asked you, know, what's going to be the next driver for, you know, the public trade space market, I don't think anyone would have said SPACs. Um, but I think, you know, we're coming to this, this era of, of, you know, reality where people are saying, okay, Show me earnings, show me how much money you have, show, much how, show me how much money you're spending. And let me think if it makes sense if I think you're going to be a viable company going forward and if we have a, a long-term horizon for this investment in mind. So um, you know, it, it's gonna be a really interesting uh, you know, next couple of years for the space industry and, and I hope forever because that means you know, people are challenging norms and they're, they're driving the industry forward. And uh, I'm, I'm a true believer in uh, the American space economy as well as the global space economy. And I think There'll be a lot of companies keeping each other honest, trying to uh, buy for who can do things best and cheapest. Any other, I and mean, we've touched on some of it already, but any other key trends uh, or thoughts about where this economy goes over the coming years, recession or not? Yeah, you know, it, it, I think it's beautiful to see how much money has been coming into the space industry, whether it's governments, whether it's militaries. I mean, you look at South Korea and they announced, you know, increasing their budget to space. Um, you know, Israel has has ambitions. Japan has ambitions. You know, it's not just uh, you know the major names that we hear you know thrown around like you know the U.S. and and Russia and China and, and you know the countries within uh, supporting the ESA. Um, you know, Ireland has ambitions for you know space ports and you know th throughout the U.K. I mean, this is something that countries are realizing that 
either you have your own capabilities or you have to rely on third parties. And can you rely on these third parties forever is now a question that wasn't really as thought through as it has since the, the Russian invasion. And these are real questions that companies need to have. Uh, you know, we saw what happened to OneWeb satellites being held hostage. Uh, you know, governments, you know, talking about national security. I mean, that's, you know, should be one of the most important things that, you know, any government considers when making decisions. And, you know, knowing how critical space is, you know, I, I just hope that people start to realize that the, the many technologies that they like to invest in, that they use, whether that's 5G, cloud computing, Internet of Things, AI, uh, you know, big data, connected devices, uh, even cryptocurrency and blockchain, uh, you know, the common thread there is a tremendous amount of data being generated and passed from point A to point B in many cases. And who's there to provide that service? In many cases, satellites, communications companies. So you know, I see space as the digital data toll operator of the digital data superhighway. And so many of these mega trend technologies rely on it. I hope people realize how important space is and you know, so that people don't say, why are we spending on space? You know, the truth is NASA has a great return on investment for technologies that benefit us here today that people don't give it credit for. And you know, space is something that's truly important, whether it's a climate change issue, whether it's a recession issue or not. Uh, you know, space is here to stay. And I'm, I'm glad that there are many people at the top that support it and continue to, to push these efforts forward. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by following us wherever you get your podcasts and by watching our coverage on Closing Bell Overtime. I'm Morgan Brennan. 